0: Hello everybody and welcome back to the Shirley You Can't Be Serious podcast. I'm so excited we are back for part two of our Gen X TV theme series. Guys, if you missed part one, we covered the top five TV themes from 1975 to 1979. Today we are here to talk to you about the top five tv themes from 1980 to 1984 and this is just this is jason's opinion this is my opinion you may have a different opinion you go ahead and let us know what you think you can reach us on twitter at shirley podcast on facebook at shirley podcast or if you want to email us you can email us at shirley podcast at gmail.com Jason, how excited are you to talk about early 80s TV
1: themes? Dee, I'm so excited because now we are really entering our sweet spot here. We were pretty young in the 70s, but now this is really where Friday night in front of the tube, you know, the giant 500-pound furniture television that everybody had in their living room. Yeah. I'm laying on the floor. I've got Oreos and a Fanta strawberry, and I'm watching whatever
0: coming on, you know, that night. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that my dad still has the same coffee table that I would sit on top of or eat cereal off of or whatever for the entire time. I grew up watching TV, and I I will tell you, like most Gen X kids, I watch TV all the time. And I love the theme music. And the theme music that we've got for this episode is some of the best in history. Right. So TV has its... Ups and downs on whether it's popular or not, and sometimes it's kind of thought of as a lower art form. But you just got to think about the fact that the guys who had to come up with the themes for these TV shows had to give you a hook in somewhere between 45 and 90 seconds. Yeah, definitely. They did it. They they put their art into the art of the TV show and gave you something to latch on to so that you wanted to keep watching.
1: Just a little side note. Yeah. My wife and I were going through Hulu last night. We're looking for something to watch. And we're like, hey, we haven't watched Justified in a long time. So we started episode one of Justified. Yeah. And they're writing the big, bold letters in the opening credits. Theme
0: song by Steve Picaro. There you go. Toto. Yep. Kind of fun. It is fantastic. So, guys, we've got a few rules that we abide by in this particular series that we are doing. Number one, it doesn't have to be strictly between 80 and 84 for this. It can overlap into some of the other years, but we just kind of feel like this is the kind of sweet area that this TV show is in.
1: For example, if it started in 1977... Yeah. Ended in 1983. Really, you could have put it in the
0: previous episode or in this episode. Can I just tell you, I'm not bringing it up. I hope it's not on your list. Okay. I was actually kind of hoping to surprise you with this one. I looked at this one because I remembered this TV theme growing up because we used to watch it all the time. Okay. But it ran from like 1963 to, I don't know, like 1989 or maybe even into the 90s. Whoa. But it was the TV theme for Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. I mean, that kicks butt. I don't care who you are. I don't care what decade you're coming from. That is a fantastic
1: theme. Yeah, that was a show that came on, I remember, on Sunday afternoons. And I remember, like, lots of times pleading with my parents, like, could you guys go to church while I watch Mutual of Omaha, you know, Wild Kingdom? Marlon Perkins, baby. I know, right? Hey, before we get started. Yeah. You're sitting on your uh your coffee table. You're turning the knob on the
0: television to get it to the right station. Yeah, scooting the coffee table inch by inch forward so that I can just lean <laughs> over to do it instead of standing up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. What cereal
0: do you have in your bowl while you're watching television? Cookie crisp, one hundred percent. Cookie crisp. Cookie crisp was my favorite cereal okay. growing up. Yeah. Now I mean I loved tons of them. You know right. I've got Fruity Pebbles. I've become a lover of cocoa pebbles since then, Fruit Loops, Lucky Charms ate the crap out of those, would eat all of the nasty ones first so they could have the marshmallows for last. <laughs> oh, man. I, so my number one draft pick is Fruity Pebbles. Nice.
1: Okay, well, let's dive into it. Are you going first or am I going first? Well, you went first last time. I suppose I should go first this time. All right, all right. So we're starting with number five. We'll go to number two. Two honorable mentions, then number one.
0: Right. Number five. Five. Okay, so another thing that we do with these is give little clues... See if the other guy can guess it before we give the answer, right? Right, right. Okay. So this song that I'm about to talk about was written by a guy who would be in a TV series that we might mention in our next episode. Oh, okay. Interesting. He was married to a lady. They wrote several theme songs. They had a child who grew up to become a performer as well, also the host of a singing show But his most famous song that I'm aware of is a song called Blurred Lines. You know the son? No. Robin Thicke. Do you know the dad? Alan Thicke. You got it. Alan Thicke, Mr. Growing Pains TV dad, before he did that, hosted some music shows, some talk shows, but also composed music with his wife, whose name was Gloria Loring. Yes. they composed a theme to a couple of important shows from the 1980s, and this one is on my number five list, okay? Yeah. So, since you haven't gotten the show from that... First of all, I like
1: how you teased me up for something modern music. I know jack (laughs)
0: squat about modern music. How do you not know Blurred Lines? Have you seen that video? Never heard of it. Oh, my gosh. Let me just tell you, go watch that video. Okay. And make sure the kids aren't around. Okay, okay. I can handle that assignment. (laughs) Okay, so... This show, okay, I'm done giving you clues. Okay, (laughs) okay, I'm I'm done giving you clues that are hard. I'm gonna give you a clue that is easy. Okay, what you talking about, Jason?
1: Different strokes. It takes different strokes. Now the world don't move to the beat of just one
0: drum. What might
1: be right for you may not be right for some.
0: Very good. The show is Different Strokes. The theme song is It Takes Different Strokes, composed specifically for the show.
1: Different strokes it takes,
0: different strokes it takes, different strokes to move the world. This show was created by <laughs> Jeff Harris and Bernie, hold the laughter, Cuck Off. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about here? Family and the, show. And the theme song was composed by... Alan Thick, his wife, Gloria Loring, and Al Burton. Now, I mentioned that Alan Thick was married to Gloria Loring. Alan had three wives. Okay. The thing that I, when you were listening to me talking, I went, holy cow. He got divorced from Gloria Loring a little bit later on. Sure. So 1980. 1986- they stopped
1: making beautiful music together?
0: You got it. Yeah. <laughs> so in 1987. Yeah. Full growing pains period, right? Yes, right. He started dating Christy Swanson. Christy Swanson? Christy freaking Swanson. Ferris Bueller's day off?
1: My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows this kid is going with the girl who saw Ferris pass out at 31 Flavors last night.
0: Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Yes. Was that she, Christy? 11? She was 17. He was 40. Stop it. I know, right? Scandalous. Scandalous. All right, so there you go. That's my number five. Okay. What do you got for me?
1: All right. My number five is from a television show that ran from 1981 to 1986. And again, I remember it ran on Wednesday nights because my family was always at church, so me trying to get home to watch this show was always a challenge. Okay. The theme song mentions lots of action and TV stars and movie stars of the day. Okay. For instance, in the theme song, it mentions Sally Field, and Raquel Welch, and Cheryl Teagues, and Redford, and Eastwood, and Burt Reynolds, and Jacqueline Smith, and Cheryl Ladd, and
0: Farrah Fawcett. Is it Charlie's Angels? No. Okay, because no. you've mentioned like every single Charlie's Angel, but I don't remember them being in a theme song. Okay. It's referencing Charlie's Angels. Yeah, I got nothing. I got okay, nothing.
1: this song was written by Glenn Larson, who also developed the show, and the song is The Unknown Stuntman, sung by Lee Majors. Love it. The Fall Guy. The Fall Guy. Well, I'm not the kind to kiss and tell, but I've been seen with fire up. I've never been with anything less than a man. So fine, I've been on fire with Sally.
0: Fantastic! You know what? Whenever we, whenever I called you, we came up with the idea for this episode literally like a couple of days ago, right? A few hours ago. (laughs) (laughs) And I called you up, and that was literally one of the songs that was in my head as I was talking to you. And somehow it didn't translate into me putting it down. Somehow I just completely blanked it out. That is a fantastic one. I'm glad you got it.
1: Okay, that's great. So during the song, he mentions all these people by name. Yep. And in the intro, it is
0: punctuated by all these cool action scenes. The only scene I remember <laughs> involves a bikini and a swinging saloon door. Is Heather Thomas the hottest woman from 1981? She she quite possibly could be. She was definitely up there with those girls you just mentioned.
1: Okay. So Glenn Larson, the creator of the show, also created Battlestar Galactica, uh-huh. Buck Rogers, Quincy Emmy, BJ and the Bear, Magnum P.I., Knight Rider. This guy is an all-star, and he wrote, helped develop the song. Excellent.
0: 80s gold. Yes. 80s gold. So he was in a pop group called The Four Preps. Oh, my gosh. The Four Preps. We've talked about this before. What? Yes. No. So we talked about it in one of our Patreon episodes, our recent Patreon episodes, because one of the key members of the four preps was a guy named Edward Cobb, who discovered a girl singer back in the 60s who did the original version of this song. But we talked about the later version where Soft Cell covered it.
1: Oh, my gosh. Are you talking about Tainted Love? You
0: got it. Ladies wow. and if you are not part of our Patreon, you need to be, just so that you can hear our Tainted Love and all of our other One Hit Wonder episodes, we talk about Ed Cobb as the writer of Tainted Love, but you've got more on The Four Preps. Tell me okay. what you got. So Glenn Larson, the guy who created all these wonderful television shows,
1: has a musical background. He was a member of The Four Preps at one time. Mm-hmm. When he stepped out, now another guy stepped in, it wasn't a direct replacement, but his name was Dave Somerville and he actually sings it and he went with Glenn Larson to pitch this to ABC by playing the song The Unknown Stuntman
0: fantastic i can remember the episode of the fall guy where they're doing the stunt and the director and like one of the coordinators or whatever is like this is going to be a really hard one and, and and lee majors had just been like guys this is i'm really concerned about this stunt you know this is and they're like you know we we know that you can do it and then it shows the, the truck and it does the big ramp up and then it falls short and the truck explodes. And you're like, did they just kill Lee Majors? <laughs> <laughs> and they're all thinking the exact same thing. And then Lee comes walking up and he's got a little remote control oh because he's turned it because he knew that stunt was too dangerous. <laughs> thought that was a fantastic opening.
1: Lee Majors, star of. <laughs> The fictional movie, The Night the Reindeer Died.
0: Go back and check out our Scrooged versus Christmas Vacation (laughs) episode. Okay, that takes us to number four. Yes. Four. This one, I I, I got a little story for you on this one. Okay. You you know this song. You know it, but you may not know the story behind some of it, right? Okay. 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 The guy who is kind of an inspiration for this show, who is... Credited as one of its creators was a guy who used to drive around a 1958 Chrysler 300D because it could go 140 miles an hour, <laughs> and he named the car. He named it Traveler because Traveler was the name of Robert E. Lee's favorite horse. Have you got it? Is this the Dukes of Hazard song? You've got it, baby. Yes. Just a good old boy. So Jerry Rushing was the name of the guy born into a bootlegging family, bootlegged when he was a kid, drove that Chrysler, had to ditch it at some point. It became scrap. But <laughs> at some point, a guy named Guy Waldron is a TV producer. He's talking to this Jerry Rushing about bootlegging culture. And that's how you come up with the movie that you talked about in our original TV theme episode, Moonrunners. Moonrunners, right? Now the problem was is that Guy Waldron didn't give Jerry Rushing any credit, and so Jerry Rushing sued him. He claims interesting, and he won. He got it. They settled the case. He got some undisclosed amount, and he obviously gets credit as a creator of the show. But he had an Uncle Wooly that he said Uncle Jesse was obviously based on. He said his escapades. <laughs> Clearly, he was the inspiration for Bo Duke. And then, obviously, the General Lee had to be taken from his car called The Traveler. We might have to do a
1: Top 5 80s Vehicles show one of these days. Oh, that would
0: be fantastic. Man. Now, we mentioned on our other episode when you talked about this song, the song is good old boys, Waylon Jennings. Waylon Jennings. Now, if you don't know that name, that may you may not be a country person. That's okay. He is like a Mount Rushmore On old country music. Country royalty, yeah. And if you happen to see the movie La Bamba, or know the history there with Buddy Holly, he was the guy who, when they were trying to decide who was going to take the bus and who was going to take the plane, and they flipped a coin, he lost the coin toss, and he had to take the bus. And he said to them, last thing he said to them is, I hope that plane crashes. (sighs) Ah, He battled depression and alcoholism for decades after that because of what happened.
1: Oh, my gosh. I had no idea about that. That's a great story.
0: There you go. Waylon Jennings. By the way, Dukes of Hazard hit number one on the Hot Country Billboard
1: Top 100. 1980. I actually had it in my 70s. You got it in the 80s. I got no problem with that.
0: Yeah, the show went from 1979 to 1985. Technically, it hits all three of our episodes. But for yeah. me, it was definitely that sweet spot was the early 80s.
1: Cool. Awesome.
0: I can remember every Friday night watching this show and The Incredible Hulk. Yeah, I mean,
1: your plans are made, right? Every
0: Friday night. <laughs> you remember when they kicked out Bo and Luke Duke and brought in Vance and Coy? Vance and Coy. Come on. I I mean, I don't think anybody's going to know the difference.
1: <laughs> nobody, nobody can tell.
0: All right, all right, quick. Right off the top of your head, Katherine Bach versus Heather Thomas. Go. Heather Thomas, but it's close. And if you watch both of them in the Battle of the Network Stars Olympics things, Woo-hoo! I I could go either way on any day. <laughs> oh, wow. Smoke show. Yeah.
1: Okay, number four.
0: By the way, I think they both played a part in the dunking booth. Just saying. Uh, God bless them. <laughs> All right, you tell is me you're my, number four. Is this is yes, my number four? You're number four. All
1: right, I think this is going to appear on your list. Okay. So we might just glaze over it. But so this was composed again by Mr.
0: Mike Post who did the music. Okay. Now you say again Mike Post. We mentioned him in our last episode and I said, guys, if you're gonna have a drinking game on this episode Mike Post might be the name that you want to remember. You take your shot every time Mike Post comes up. When we talked about him on our previous previous episode, I mentioned that he had become a part of the Wrecking Crew. He goes on to do TV shows, worked with Ray Charles on the Andy Williams show, then hit it big with The Rockford Files starring James Garner of Norman, Oklahoma, where both Jason and I are from, and made it to the top 10 with that one. Yes, that's right. Okay, so we got Mike Post for your number four. Yes. Hit me.
1: This one hit number two on the Hot 100. Okay. Blocked by a song that we've talked about in a previous episode. I think I know what it is. Okay. I think I know what it is. The song that blocked it was Endless Love by Diana Ross and Lionel Richie. I do
0: know what it is, and hold on to that nugget. We'll we'll come back to it later. Set that one aside. Set that one aside, which is okay, because I'm coming right back to Mike Post for my number (laughs) three. Number three. Okay, back to you. Three. All right, so Jason, my clue for you is this one. I will tell you this, all right? Yes. I didn't really get to watch this show very much because it was a little too grown up for me. Okay. It kind of changed television. I got to say this. It, the Flawed characters, intense subject matter kind of changed the course of television. But even though I didn't watch the episodes, I always hung out to listen to the theme song because <laughs> it was so good. Okay. And the only clue that I can give you is theme song starts playing as a car comes out of a garage and you see the headlights and then you see the sirens come on. This is
1: Hill Street Blues. You got it.
0: Yes. So this was written by Mike Post, who we've talked about endlessly at this point. Yes. Now, Mike Post worked heavily with Stephen Bosco, who is the guy that changed television in the 80s, right? Yeah, right? I mean, responsible for so many phenomenal shows. And I don't know that I'm going to get to mention it in some other part, but just to throw onto the pile that I've already started with Mike Post, he also did the score for Law & Order, like all of them. He's responsible for... Boom, boom. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Yeah. So Stephen Bosco has this show... Mike Post watches the first episode and is blown away. He's like, this is the most fantastic thing I've ever seen. Uh, This is going to change television. The death at the end is like a freaking ballet. It's just, it's mind blowing how good it is. And he's like, I have no idea what to do. So Steven Bosco says, well, what if you do something just completely against type? Like, what if you do something that's not at all like what you would expect it to be? It's like, I think I could do that hangs up the phone, sits down at the piano, plays something in an E-flat key, plays a few more things, and in 30 minutes, he's calling Stephen Bosco back, and he's like, I think I got it. And Bosco's like, hey, man, I don't want something out of your junk drawer, right? Yeah. And he's like, no, I just wrote this. Can I come play it for you? He goes over to Stephen Bosco, plays it, and Stephen Bosco usually gives him, he's, he ta- he loves to talk about how these guys give him notes that are just the right amount of information to do something with. Right. And so he's waiting for that, and Stephen Bosco says, that's it. Don't change it. And he's like, well, I'm thinking it needs some orchestration. And Bosco's like, it doesn't. The piano is all you need. Don't change it. Nice. Now, when you hear it, you can hear a little bit of stuff in the background, but the piano is the key. It's the masthead for the entire piece, and it is beautiful. Absolutely. Now, this song was released as a single
1: August 1981. I agree with you. This is not a show that I watched, but I love the theme song. Yeah. And it's going to appear whenever we do the late 80s <laughs> got on you. my list. I It got reached you. number 10 on the Hot 100.
0: Yes, just like Rockford Files And just like rocket Files, it got him another Grammy. This was his third Grammy. Nice. 1981.
1: Okay, awesome. So we're now on to my number three? I believe so. All right. My number three is a song written by this guy named Mike Post. (laughs) 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 Okay, go ahead. Take another shot, everybody. Mike Post, okay? This one, he composed it with a guy named Peter Carpenter. This song reached number 25 on the Hot 100 May of 1982. It's an instrumental. Yep. This show ran from 1980 to 1988.
0: And you can't hear this song without thinking about a Ferrari and Hawaiian shirts. Yes. Yes. So this one, again, we've, we've timed this very well because this is my number two. Wow, okay, perfect. This is my number two, so we would have been going straight into it anyway. As you mentioned, it's composed by Mike Post and his uh, one of his partners, Pete Carpenter. Yep. By the way, just to throw this out there, he had like a group of guys that he would work with, you know, that were his, sure. his, his, like his company. Right. Among them are several famous guys. I'm just going to mention one of them because I'm going to see if you can get this, okay? Okay, all right. He had a guy who was on his staff of composers whose name was Walter Murphy, Okay, okay. And we talked about him briefly, very briefly, on a previous episode covering an album where he did a disco version of a Beethoven song <laughs> called "A Fifth of Beethoven."
1: Yes, this is Saturday Night Fever. You got it.
0: So one of my, one of Mike Post's staff members is also a guy who's written a song on one of the best-selling albums of all time. It's very interesting, this guy, Mike Post, that I've just discovered and was such a mover and shaker in the world.
1: Wow, that's cool. One of the things I thought was interesting is that Magnum P.I., the first 10 episodes, had a different theme song. It changes the entire tone of the show.
0: Does that change everything about the show? I can't believe that that was the theme song for 10 full episodes. I have no memory of that. And it's so different. It was so right that they said, we've got to ditch this and do something that kicks more butt. That original one was by a guy named Ian Freebaron Smith. I'll tell you something. Ian Freebaron
1: Smith does not drive a Ferrari, does not live in Hawaii and does not the heartthrob
0: of every American babe in the early 1980s. Well, neither are Mike Post or Pete Carpenter, but they they tapped into that vibe a little better than he did. They sure did. All right, so we kind of jumped into my number two with your number three there. Why don't you give us your number two?
1: Two. Okay, Uh, this is the one I'm interested to see. I didn't know if it would make your list, but it's such a catchy instrumental from the 80s. Okay. This show ran from 1978... Okay. To 1991. So conceivably it could have been on all three of these lists.
0: Exactly. Yes. Okay. Yep.
1: All right. Friday nights on CBS. Uh-huh. This was a, a main staple, but I'm telling you in 1980 there was a question, a cliffhanger that plagued American pop culture.
0: Who shot JR? Who
1: shot JR? This is the theme song for Dallas.
0: So this one hovered on my list. It definitely did. And since we're to that point, I will tell you it is one of my honorable mentions for this episode. So hearing that music makes me think it's time for me to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> this is not appropriate for you, D. Graves. Right. So I would get done watching Dukes of and The Incredible Hulk, and then this music would start playing, and it meant it was time for D to go to bed.
1: <laughs> That's great, man. This song was composed by a guy named Gerald Amel. He also did Gunsmoke and Knot's Landing. He contributed music to Walker, Texas Ranger. So he's done some stuff. So this song was actually a bigger hit in France, which is funny. Okay. Because they decided that that theme song was good, but it needed lyrics. So what? they added French lyrics and it became a hit on the French pop charts. We've got to hear that.
0: <laughs> Apologies to all of our French listeners, but that is friggin' hilarious. That is terrible. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. That's so good. Oh, my gosh.
1: I got Fantastic. one more thing for you before we leave the Dallas theme song, okay. okay? Yep. Now, as you may know, I am a big Dallas Cowboys football fan. Yeah. And in the 90s, they, when they signed Deion Sanders, it was a huge deal to Cowboy fans. Yeah. And I remember Jerry Jones and Dion. even Kevin Smith was in a commercial and they played the Dallas theme song and it was sort of the introduction of Deion Sanders as a Cowboy. I don't care what it takes, you get me Dion.
0: 11 men
1: like that I can rule the world nice it was a big deal yeah as a Dallas fan okay that's all I got for you on the Dallas theme
0: okay so as I mentioned that is one of my honorable mentions yes this other one it was exclusively on HBO oh it involves some of the same type of creatures that your number one involved from the 1975 to 1979 episode You got it?
1: I got it. I got it. And I'm disappointed in myself for not coming up with this. This has to be the theme song from Fraggle Rock.
0: So, on the times that I was in front of a TV that got HBO, I was watching Fraggle Rock, and I loved this intro song.
1: It was a great song, man, yeah. and actually introduced all the characters. Yeah. Kind of worked your way, you know, through the, the world of the Fraggles. Yeah. You understood they lived underneath the ground, and there's a dog that kind of chased them, and they had the dozers and...
0: Dump Pile and Uncle Traveling Matt. That's it.
1: That's it. Great show. Yeah. Great show. Okay, so is that your
0: two honorable mentions? Those are my two honorable mentions, Dallas and Frackle Rock.
1: All right, so let me give you my two honorable mentions in that case. Okay. So I've got a song by this guy named Mike Post. Okay? <laughs> okay. This <laughs> is a show. Never heard of him. <laughs> this is a show that would literally fire automatic weapons every show, and no one ever got shot. So they made a movie about this in the 2000s. Okay. Starring Bradley Cooper and Liam Neeson.
0: Ah, okay. I've got it. What you got? got What you got? It's B.A. Baracus. It's Mr. T. It's the A-Team. By the way... That one will probably come up again in a future episode. Okay. All right. Cool. Great theme song
1: right here. By the way, TV anchorman Al Roker plays this before he goes on the air to get himself psyched.
0: (laughs) That's fantastic. (laughs) That is the best tidbit we've had yet. fantastic Al Roker. Well, it's so important (laughs) for a weatherman to be stoked. Uh, That's great.
1: Okay, so that's honorable mention number one. Yep. All right. Honorable mention number two is by a guy named Stu Phillips and Glenn Larson. Now, Glenn Larson is the same guy that developed the Fall Guy. Yes. And the theme song for The Fall Guy. Yes. He actually stole pieces of this theme song from a French classical piece of music. Okay. All right. Yeah. This show ran from 1982 to 1986, and it is a very, very synthesizer futuristic sounding for
0: 1982.
1: Is this Knight Rider? Yes, it is. <laughs>
0: Okay, so Knight Rider's on your next episode. Night Rider will be making an appearance in the next episode, probably.
1: Okay, all right. Cool show. Guy who talks to his car, lives in the shadowy world of an anonymous man who doesn't exist. I still don't really understand the plot. <laughs> other than David Hasselhoff and a talking car. They both
0: look so cool, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. All right, so here we are. We are to our number one. One. Since you've already listed my number one in your spiel just a bit ago, right, right, we haven't, we didn't name it, so I'll bring it back to you now. This song went to number two, involves a guy that you might have heard of named Mike Post, was kept out of the number one spot by Endless Love by Diana Ross and Lionel Richie. This song is called Believe It or Not. Believe it or not So this is the theme song for Greatest American Hero, 1981 to 1983. I got to tell you, I loved watching the show when I was a kid, but I was a little kid. And so in the not-too-distant past, I thought, I'm going to check this thing out again. Yeah. The pilot episode for this show is two hours long. What? Like, it's a big establishing show wow and the beginning of the show is intense like it is an african american running from this group of skinheads in these dune buggies and he doesn't make it to the opening credits man what? i mean it is in tense and i was like wow i'm glad they got a little more of a sense of humor along the way but great intro like this is definitely a redoable show they could come back this was this is one of those things that i think is begging for a reboot so remind me how does he get his powers it comes from an alien ship and what we learned through the series is that, like, the aliens, probably their planet was destroyed. And so their objective is to give this suit, which gives him basically Superman-like powers, that he goes on to discover throughout the series in order to protect the planet from the destruction that their planet faced.
1: All right. Yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah. Okay. And so the beauty is it comes with an instruction manual. The plot point of the series is he loses... The instruction <laughs> manual at the very beginning. So uh, he has no idea what he can do. He has no idea how to land, which means that he can fly, but he doesn't do so good on planning the landing. This show was was super fun. I, I enjoyed it. Here's an interesting thing. We mentioned that this came out in 1981, right? right? Early 1981. Yeah, yeah. You know what else happened early 1981? No. It involved the president of the United States at the time. It was been shot. Right? Exactly. Yeah. The main character in this show... His name was Hinckley. Oh, no. So when that happened, they did a quick switcheroo, changed his name to Hanley for a while until kind of the the bluster about everything blew over with John Hinckley Jr. and changed it back to Hinckley later on. Wow, that's that's a great tidbit right there. Thanks, ma'am. So as we mentioned, written by Mike Post, he gets the info on what this show is supposed to be about. He's like a guy in a super suit that he doesn't know how to work and a, like, ultra right-wing CIA agent as his kind of handler. <laughs> what the heck? How am I supposed to write a theme song about that? And so he he's a music guy. He gets the music, and he goes to his partner, Stephen Geyer. And Stephen Geyer's like, well, what if we make the lyrics something that's like could also be like a love song? And that's how, believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could be so free. Oh, that's good. Sung by a guy named Joe Scarberry, uh, who had, Mike Post had produced in other things, hadn't had any real success, but had a great voice and so memorable for this song. As a matter of fact, this song was really the inspiration for this episode because I was in my kitchen, my wife or my kid said something like, believe it or not, and I was like, oh, we should do a show about TV themes, and I called you up.
1: Nice. There we go. There you go. Yep. Cool. Okay. So I guess that brings us to my number one. Number one. All right. Excited. Okay. I'm rather shocked that we haven't come across it so far. Okay. I would bet money that it's on your next episode, though. Could be. So this was written by two people who basically were inexperienced and unqualified to write a TV jingle. Okay. They tried three times and were rejected. In 2011, Rolling Stone named this the greatest TV theme song of all time. I think I know what it
0: is. Okay. I think it is going to be in a future episode. Okay. Does this... TV show involve a guy named Norm! Making your
1: way in the world today Takes everything you've got Taking a break from all your worries So listen, this song is called Where
0: Everybody Knows Your Name Dude, I can't tell you how much I love this song but I will in our next episode
1: <laughs> you
0: This song, as you mentioned, was written by a guy who really didn't have experience doing this. His name was Gary Portnoy. Right. I was sure when I would listen to this that Woody Harrelson was singing.
1: Yeah, it kind of sounds like, like it that. It
0: sounded so much like there were. I would listen to it sometimes. And I'd be like, OK, that's not Woody. And then other times I'd be like, oh, dude, that's Woody singing the song. <laughs> I could not verify. But there are a ton of people out there who share my opinion. Like everybody's like, I was sure it was Woody Harrelson right. singing this song. It's not the Woody the problem
1: is, is that the song predates Woody Harrelson's association with Cheers. So listen to this. So it's written by Gary Portnoy and yep. Judy Hart Angelo. Okay? Yes. Yep. Judy Hart Angelo was sitting next to a Broadway producer at dinner. Uh-huh. Knowing that she worked for a music producer, he asked her if she could recommend anyone to produce a score uh-huh. for a musical that he was looking for. So she knew and recommended Gary Portnoy. Well, he had never written for theater before. Right. And she had never, ever written a song. Yeah, nothing. So they get together and they write the musical Preppies. From that, there's a song called People Like Us. And they actually submitted that to be the theme song for Cheers. Yep. They liked it, but they're like, eh, it's not quite right. Rejected. Okay? Then they came up with another song called My Kind of People. Rejected. Yeah. Then they came up with another song called Another Day. Rejected. Okay. So Gary Portnoy sat down at the piano, and he wanted to kind of get the feel of the bar. So he sat down at the piano and played sort of the sad bar love song medley. And when he got Sometimes You Wanna Go, then it took off.
0: Nice. That's awesome. And such a great song. I mean, it just makes you feel like you belong somewhere. Now, if you listen to the full version of this song... You get some weird <laughs> lyrics. Yeah. The original opening lyrics, even when they came up with the song, the original opening lyrics are not what we uh, what we end up getting. The original opening lyrics were, Sing in the blues when the Red Sox lose. It's a crisis in your life. On the run because all your girlfriends want to be your wife. <laughs> and the laundry tickets in the wash. I'm super glad they changed those lyrics. The laundry tickets are in the wash? Yeah. Okay. I don't even understand what that means. Wow.
1: <laughs> I'm glad we got what we got. Yeah. One of the best TV shows of the 80s. Yes. And you got the best theme song of the 80s. Yes. It. I mean, Cheers is really one of the all-time greats. Yeah. Love it. All right, so that wraps up our TV shows 1980 to 1984 episode. Come back down the road. We're going to have another episode on these where we do 1985 to 1989. Please send us in your picks. We'd love to hear from you guys. Your experience may be different than ours and what you watched in your household, so we would love to know what your top songs are.
0: Thank you guys so much. Everything we do, we do it for you. Brian Adams right there. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, we do really appreciate you guys tuning in every week. Be sure, if you haven't already, to hit that subscribe button, hit that follow button, and check us out on Twitter and Facebook. And Hit us up by email. Send us an email. We would love to know your name. Nicely. I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week.